Hi, everybody. This is God Sad for the Sad Truth. I have a rare situation today, a repeat guest on the Sad Truth. Asra Mamani, how are you doing? Oh, my gosh. I'm so happy to see you. I can't even believe like it was yesterday. I know. I know. So let me, for the people who may not be familiar with your work, let me just read some of your brief bio. You were a former Wall Street correspondent, former professor at Georgetown University, co-founder of the Pearl Project in honor of Daniel Pearl, who was killed uh, by some rather unsavory folks. By the way, uh, Astra, before I'm going to go on with your bio, I recently had his father, Judea Pearl, on the show. My goodness, what a delight that gentleman is. He's unbelievable. I watched it. It was so. Um, I mean, it's been it's aired, right? Am I mistaken? It, it, no, no, no. It's it aired last uh, summer. Uh, yeah, we had first connected uh, when I was in Southern California in the summer, and our first conversation was as if it was old friends reuniting. That's yeah. you know how unassuming and lovely he is. Uh, yeah. So that's Judea Pearl, very famous. Computer that was. That was, I would say, Danny's gift to me was um, the friendship of, of his father after he had left this earth. There you go. Uh, you are the co-founder of the Muslim Reform Movement and the vice president of Parents Defending Education. As we mentioned earlier, you appeared on the show in 2015. Let me mention your books. Uh, this was now 20 years ago, Tantrica, Traveling the Road of Divine Love, uh, few years later, Standing Alone in Mecca, An American Woman's Struggle for the Soul of Islam, and your recently released book, which we'll be talking about today, Woke Army, The Red-Green Alliance That is Destroying America's Freedom. Did I cover? There you go. That's the yeah. that's the one. Uh, okay, very so... Subtle, very subtle cover. <laughs> I'm just... Um, I left Parents Defending Education. I'm not there anymore, and I'm now with a new organization called uh, uh, Independent Women's Network doing... Um, rabble rousing as my <laughs> as my specialty well i remember about a few months ago i had referred to you as uh you know kind of the epitome of the honey badger and at first you wrote back well what's the honey badger i need to look up so i think you now know what it is and i think the appellation fits you quite well doesn't it Oh my gosh, it's like so perfect. And you are the evolutionary biologist, ex psychologist, expert, yes. you understand um, that I am 57 years old now, God, and my estrogen is dropping. So what does that mean? That means that I am leaning into my honey badger. And oh. yeah, I have loved this, um, this, this, this physiological reality, which is that estrogen is a people pleasing hormone, as you know. And I had it in spades, if you can believe <laughs> it. Yeah, through my 20s and 30s, you know, that the young woman in the workplace afraid to have, can you imagine me afraid to have confrontations, though, though my colleagues don't remember it that way. And, um, <laughs> and Danny and I had a good old time, like talking about, you know, the men swaggering around the, the newsroom. He was my buddy and all of that. But um, but oh my gosh, this honey badger metaphor is such a great one. We you want to explain it to people because yeah. everybody should know it. So this actually, I really pop. I mean, I've been saying it for many years, but I popularized it in the last chapter of my last book, uh, The Parasitic Mind, where I implore people to activate your inner honey badger. And what I mean by that is the honey badger turns out, and this has been formally ranked by by zoologists is the fiercest animal in the, well, in the animal kingdom. And the reason for that, so it's the, the honey badger is about the size of a small dog. 
yet it is so ferocious. It is so intimidating. It is so, I mean, it walks as though it's 40 feet tall, that <laughs> even hyenas, even lions, all sorts of venomous snakes will run away when they see the un, what seems to be the unassuming honey badger coming forward. And so what I try to tell people is, I don't yeah. mean it as a call for violence. I mean it as be ideologically fierce, be fierce in your commitment to defending what's right. So in that sense, you are the epitome of the honey badger. Astro. Yeah, it's it's about this being unapologetic and um, and and leaning into every bit of power that you've got because you have it. And I am five foot tall, along with my other great attributes. And it's exactly that. You know, God, I I'm, I know you don't know this, but I um, tried out for my volleyball team in ninth grade. It was about do the math. I graduated eighty two, so late seventies. And Coach Rice picked me only because I flung my body at the ball, you know, <laughs> to save it from ever hitting the gym floor. And so at least, you know, that as much estrogen as I had flowing in me, the truth is like, we've got all that spirit that you're talking about, the honey badger spirit in us. Do, do you think, I mean, you know, the, the proverbial nature versus nurture, of course, some of us are born. So on the continuum of honey badgerhood, some of yeah. us will score very low. Some of us will score very high. I understand that. That's the, the nature element. But are there, in your view, ways by which oh, we, can, yes. you, you, we can, so we can have a honey badger seminar whereby oh we move gosh. Yeah. Like, and we should do it. You know, I want us to run it. God, <laughs> I'm not kidding because I really I have had to overcome fear. That is ultimately the component that I think keeps us from leaning into our inner honey badger the most. And that little being that you're describing has to overcome fear within itself too. Because as you know, more better than I do, animals have cortisol, right? They have sure. stress hormone also, don't they? Of course, exactly right, yeah. Yeah, so they feel stress and they 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 have also the same instincts, right? Of, in response to trauma or threat of fear, flight, freeze, you know, fight, flight, fight, flight, freeze, right? So some animals intuitively, like they do freeze, right? Like that's their survival mechanism. Um, and I know in my life journey, I have had to do meditation, reflection, and my first book was this book, um, Exploring Tantra, um, this tantric Buddhism. Uh, it led me to cross paths with the Dalai Lama. <laughs> Uh-oh, don't talk to me about sucking tongues. Oh, my gosh. I can't even begin to tell you. Like, we knew, like, if the Dalai Lama is not, in, you know... Infallible. Anymore. I know exactly. Like there's, but that's good because you and I don't hold anything sacred, right? Like except. Sorry, why is your hand up on the Zoom? Do you see it? Oh, let me see. Uh, let me see. <laughs> it's you. You could speak. We're not oh, in a. Yes, that's so funny. You, you could speak without raising your hand, Asra. <laughs> but you know what? That is such a great metaphor, though, because it is literally like about have your hand up, ready. All right. the time, true, you know, it's so true because I mean, I know you can't believe this now, but I know you've, you've been a college professor for so long. So you have seen my younger self 
you know, the young woman, oftentimes also young men who um, sit quiet, completely knowledgeable about the content, right? But they don't raise their hand. Yeah, totally. That was me. One of the one of the ways one of the ways I try to you know implore my students to not feel so stressed when they have to yeah. get up and yeah. present in front of the class. I tell them the story of uh, so Russell Tompkins Jr. was the lead singer of uh, one of my favorite groups of all time called the Stylistics. They they played a type of music called the Philly Sound, which right. is this you know beautiful soul music from the you know early seventies from Philadelphia. And uh, I was fortunate enough to, you know, become friends with what amounts to be my childhood musical hero. And we, you know, he came on my show and uh, during our chat, during our chat, I asked him, you know, this is a world famous singer. I said, Hey, Russell, before you get on stage, do you get nervous? And I was hoping that he would answer in exactly the way he answered, which is, Oh, my, I, my feet would be almost buckling. I was so nervous. Now, the reason why I was pleased with that answer, because then I take that information. I tell my students, if a world famous singer can experience the sense of, you know, of, of dread as they're about to go, you know, get, uh, you know, stage fright, don't worry about it. We all get butterflies when we're about to speak publicly, but you have to overcome it. And so to your point, I do see so many students who are frozen, unwilling to speak, and I try to kind of slowly get them to find their inner voice, and many a times they do. Yeah, and you know what? I'm going to um, share my tantric secret. Uh-oh. I know. Oh, God, you didn't expect this. <laughs> um, I came to Canada to learn this secret, so I feel like it's appropriate that I'm sharing it on your show. Um I came to Canada and my assignment was to explore the big business of tantric sex in the world, in North America, really, because it was a it was a big thing in the late 90s. That was when it was emerging cover of all the women's magazines. So I ended up at this tantric seminar in in Canada at the border. The guard, you know, asked me why I was there. And I did that fumble like, oh, personal. Oh, I mean, business. And he knew like what Uh this is like. I know exactly. So then I told him the truth. I'm here for a sex seminar. And he's like, in Canada? And so (laughs) I I arrived. We do have sex in Canada, by the way. I know. know. It has to happen. It's such a, he, he did bad PR. So, so God, this is what I learned is that, I know you understand meditation and yogic breathing. So there's this this, um, kundalini breath that they talk about and they talk about our chakras. And the idea is that we have these energy centers that actually the um, scientists are discovering and exploring um, through MRIs. So the idea is that you close your eyes and that you breathe in. And then when you breathe in, your first chakra is at your throat, your voice. And you visualize your breath going through there. And then next is at your at your chest, at your sternum. And that is where fear and anxiety metaphorically reside. And then your belly, um, a third spot there. And that is where anxiety also sits. And then the magic spot of your sexual area. So this is where the tantric sex part enters into it because the idea is that our sexual energy is a part of our energy and the um, Dalai Lama as a, not a great metaphor right now, but 
the idea is that even celibate, you know, we have that energy and we can use it in our lives, in our world, and then also in sexual relationships. But the idea is you visualize your breath through that, that um, sexual area and then up, up the back to your, your um, tail, right? Bone, which is when you do yoga, that's like your base chakra, they say, like you cannot elevate into this world right. until your base is solid and stable. And that we all know that, like if your bills aren't paid, you don't have enough money, you don't have stability. How are you going to reach enlightenment? So then you visualize the breath through there and then up through the spine and then your crown chakra, um, which is that idea symbolically of enlightened thinking. And then finally to your third eye here. And so that is considered this Kundalini breath. And I'm, I'm giving away my greatest secret right here, God, because when I go, you know, we're going to talk about our school board confrontations and things like that. I get in my car right outside the house. I am sick to my stomach, God. I am sick to my stomach. You mean because I'm you're not, feeling nervous. Yeah. And I'm nauseous. And I know that these people don't like me. I know that they are going to be rude. They're going to treat me like dirt. You know, like I have to, I'm processing all that I know I will experience. And it's not like I'm trying to manifest it. You know, like I have gone there innocent as can be, hoping to be uh, respected and treated honorably, but they treat you like dirt so consistently that you can predict it. Um, not as a self-fulfilling prophecy, but as threat assessment, really. And so God, on my drive, like every every part of my life during the day, it's like this perpetual mindfulness about that breath so that you get that energy from all of these chakras as we call it and um and and so that's one of my secrets because it it then like you know you know this physiologically um it you know um uh, regulates your breath yeah. right it regulates your release of those stress hormones and and then ultimately it brings you to that honey badger state <laughs> well but you know yeah, i mean to to your point about you know the physiological manifestations of yeah. stress the way that i experience it often if if i'm stressed even subconsciously stressed so in other words i may not be consciously aware right. that you know i'm feeling internally agitated usually what happens with me is i get this kind of ball of nerves that the only way that I can assuage is I actually start to gag. I'm, I'm sharing this here on this show. And, yeah. and if I, if I gag two or three times, it completely releases the tension. So in a sense, it yeah. is, it is somehow some bottled up poor yeah. breathing that is being, you know, that is finally being released. Right. Yeah. Like I, another trick of mine, I don't know if you use this one, but I will force myself to yawn because right. then you get that deep breath and you, you release, I mean, and, and whether you believe in actual chakras or not, you know, it's all, it's because, you know, my dad, he went to one of these workshops with me and he's a scientist, clinical nutritionist. He's like, breath, breath doesn't move like that. <laughs> he told the guru right. and he's right. like, yeah, it's symbolism, you know, like, and, right. but you know, you know, the scientist's mind. Sure, like, sure, sure. Wait, you're talking about breath moving. Uh, it's not, it doesn't work that way. Right. Hand up. Um, 
but but yeah, God, I I am so glad we're having this conversation because you know we can sit in our prefrontal and talk about these big ideas, but if you keep it a secret um, to yourself or just like the, as you know, live in fear and only have that one or two people that you confide in, then you don't change that collective breath right in the world okay. that we need right now in order to take on this uh, this this lovely you bring know bring it up bring it up. Yes. So this machine that we're talking about, it's a woke army, right? Like soldiers, <laughs> we're soldiers let's, now. Let's let's dig in. So the last time when we, we last spoke, of, you know, many years ago now, you you know, you were already quite well known as someone who, you know, fought against the segregation of men and women at, at the mosque, who was calling for a reformation in Islam. We might, I think, if I'm not mistaken, have had discussed that first time, whether that theologically is feasible or not. I, I think we may or may not have done that. Yeah. So from that moment, 2015, when we, the end of 2015 till today, what, what was your journey that led to, okay, I have to write this book, Woke Army? Yeah, what happened? it's remarkable. And, um, and I just want to, I want to also, I feel like this is, I, I knew that this was going to happen. Um, I've, I've kept, I've had so many conversations with you, you know, over these seven years and, um, and I feel like, okay, in this hour, I'm going to have them all with you right now. But I wanted to tell you too, that I am sitting on the same red sofa that I sat in that, that, that conversation. Is, is that right? Now yeah. you had at the time, and I'm scared to ask this, if I remember right. correctly, Right. You had a dog, correct? Yes. Yeah. Is, is the so, dog around? You're so sweet. You're so sweet to say it that way because I I usually sit upstairs. Um, you can see my stairwell there. Um, I have a beautiful set of books that are like my um journey of intellectual thought. But this uh red sofa represents my journey of emotion because indeed, God, I'm telling you and the world for the first time this this thing that I've kept in my heart for two years because Lily passed away. Oh no. Yeah. Oh, she so passed sorry. away two years ago. And I'm, I'm just sharing it with you because I remember that she just, she, she became a cameo. Yeah, if you remember. I do. I do. It was a hit. I, you know what? I will put uh, at the end of this clip when I post it, oh. I will put the link to our last chat so people can go back and see that. Yeah. I mean, and what, what um and she's a perfect answer to your question actually though because you can tell from my smile the smile it brings to your heart too the memory of her she literally represented happiness right like yeah. like i love seeing pictures of you do you have just one dog so we we had two and oh, yeah. now they've both passed away and oh, and it was and it was so you know traumatizing that nice. now 4 years later my wife is only coming around to yes. the idea of possibly adding a new member to the sad oh family. Gosh. Oh my gosh. I, 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 I'm with her because it's been two years for me. And I, you know, I had in the house, our neighbor's dog the other yesterday and was imagining this was the first time a dog has been in this house. Yeah. since Lily's passing, but God, um, Lily represented, I don't know if you remember, but, and you know this all too well anyway, that in Muslim interpretation of Islam, traditionally today, a, a dog is not allowed inside of a home. Of course. Yeah, because they're- and Let's not talk about black dogs. That's, a, oh, that's even worse. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I think next time I will get a black dog. Um, <laughs> There's the honey badger. I know. I know. People can see it as we speak. Right. This is how the honey badger mind works. Right. 
Um, but God, it Lily, and, and you know this, that I'm, I, I have been a single mother. I, my, my son's father never took responsibility. And so I raised him co-parenting with my parents who also embraced this new interpretation of Islam that we are arguing must prevail where a woman is not sentenced to death or a life of shame if she doesn't wear a wedding ring. Um, but Lily was my co-pilot in this journey as a single mom. And she would always be in the passenger seat until my son was old enough to wow. sit there. And she'd go to the back. But um, but I did a I did a seminar then um, with the Muslim reform movement um, co-founders, and we called it Angels on Earth because um, dogs are said to be a barrier if they're inside the home to angels entering the home. And that's why Muslims with that interpretation don't allow a dog in the home. So Lily, um, you know, was our rejection of that, that, right. uh, that dogmat dogmatism. Right. <laughs> um, and, and she brought happiness and joy. And I really realized now in the seminar we did how it is that that fundamentalism and extremism and dogmatism deny us happiness and and love like a dog gives us in our lives uh and so she was with me um that day and on this journey as i moved it was just so um shocking to me and i I'm, i've had this conversation with you in my head many times too because when we talked last time god i was so touched to hear about you know your early experience with extremism right you were born in lebanon and um and and this is i brought i had with me my my um the book that danny's dad co-wrote with wow yeah i, I am i think that was his last words before yes. what happened right that's what it refers yeah. to correct Yes, exactly. Yeah. And and not only I am Jewish, but my mother is Jewish, my yeah. father is Jewish. So he he laid claim to his identity and who he was. And um and when you and I talked, you you talked about, you know, the sectarianism in Lebanon and 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 I witnessed through Danny's murder the violence of sectarianism. And so that is the mentality into which I you know was living this earth after um and into 2020 when george floyd was killed and all of a sudden god i i know you will understand this very deeply what i saw and what i experienced was that sectarianism right. and 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 that is you know what then activated me to become i wore this shirt too for you today because we oh, call ourselves, you know that a mama, mama bear. papa bear movement. I, yes, I, I wore the, I added the papa bear to it because of folks like you. Because of course, I've heard your stories as a dad and watched and 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 seen your own testimonials about what you're witnessing as the assault on children, and um and that sectarianism is what you and I are connected and fighting in this earth, right? right. Um, identity politics and. And um, and so for me, what happened is in June 2020, then a few years after we had talked, my son, not to brag, had made it into the number one high school in the United States, Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology. 
And, and it was there that I had like the craziest experience as a minority in America, as an immigrant from India, we had sugarcane juice at the PTA meetings and biryani at the back to school night, because 70% of the population is Asian at the school. And, and we fit into that demographic. And then the other, this is what people don't talk about, but the 20% that's white is mostly immigrants. Right. And, and, you know, God, like in your case, like, and, and the folks of, of Arab ancestry, like you're considered white in the census. So they're Arab immigrants. They are immigrants from Romania who fled communism. And so on June 7th, 2020, I got this email along with all the other parents and kids at the school that we needed to check our privileges. Right. And, and that was like my wake up call. I, I had seen in the days earlier that the school principal had all of a sudden found her, you know, newly discovered activism agenda and got clues about this new, uh, assault that was about to happen on schools. And, and so God, that became my wake up call. And, and that's when I started overcoming my own fears of confrontation and started speaking back to the school board about this new sectarianism that had come to schools. So, but given that you had fought some, you know, rather threatening figures in your, you know, uh, interventions as relating to Islam, did some of the woke army members who were not coming from the Islamic persuasion, I'm talking about the woke, kind of the blue-haired woke people, yeah. were, you know, the trans activists, the CRT folks, were they as intimidating and dogmatic as the Islamic ones? Or, or are you able to put them on a hierarchy of how threatening they are? Oh, they are frightening. They <laughs> yeah. are as diabolical and as uh, dangerous. And um, and so after we talked, as we all know, then Donald Trump was elected in 2016. And that's when I first started seeing the, um, you know, just vitriol of the far left with the Islamists. And I brought, a, I put, pulled out a book that illustrates it really well. That became like my um, wake up call. Um, I have next to me my, I call it my Mary Poppins basket of books, but this is a book of the women's March. Oh, and, right. Yeah. So you called them blue haired, right? But they were the pink hat, yes. right? Ladies. And and um, front and center was this woman, uh, Linda Sarsour. Oh, yes. Linda. Yeah. yeah. Your, your favorite. My favorite. My girl. Yeah, the one who told Ayan Hirsi Ali that she was no woman. Um, That's and, right. Yeah, and uh, Ayan, who has, you know, su suffered and experienced female genital mutilation, right? This surgery. And she referred to her as just genitalia, or I can't remember what the exact, it was a really yeah. kind of crass comment, right? Yeah, it was so crass. And yet here she is now, a leader for the women's rights movement. And so that was my first introduction to, I'm just turning off this little ringer so people can hear the Yeah, name. I was trying to be polite and not bring it up, but thank you for doing so. And maybe you could, uh, maybe you could something turn- is, Something is taking off, you guys. Something big is happening in the world. 
Yes. Linda, you, of course, I know you know this, but for those of you who don't know, in Arabic, sarsur means ca cockroach. I know. So I think it, it fits very nicely, her uh, her persona. Uh, but, but she seems to be out of the... I mean, I haven't heard much of her. Yeah. She, 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 but trust me, she's out there. She's, she's out there. there. Yeah, she's back there. She's doing her Muslim engagement stuff as her intersectionality. Yeah. And, and, and after we talked, we ended up discovering in the United States and then in North America and in Canada, you know, this new hierarchy of human value. And that's when I really woke up to the ideological battle that was happening because in the name of intersectionality, there was a new, a new hierarchy of human value and uh, that we all, like you and I, everyone of, you know, of logical thinking rejects any hierarchy of human value because that is what led to this murder of Danny because they said Jews and people of Israeli ancestry are below others right and that's why they justify murdering an innocent man but god um i didn't it wasn't personal like i didn't i i, I saw it in the world and i saw like i fell out of favor with the far left you know as a classic liberal uh because i dared to challenge their narrative but when it came the principle came after our parents and our kids it was really personal, just like it had been with Danny's murder. And um, and that's what I really recognized was the, you know, use of new ideology and got a name for it with this name of critical race theory, um, you know, as the justification. And that's that's when I really realized that like this alliance, this Islamist and the leftist, like they were working from the same playbook of identity politics and sectarianism. And, and to your question, their tactics are the same. Yeah. Disinformation, character assassination, um, shaming. That's why this honey, this honey badger theme is so important because shame is such a tactic for um for silencing us. So in, in the parasitic mind, to your point about comparing the 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 Islamist agenda with the you know the 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 woke blue-haired folks, uh I taught in the parasitic mind, I make the this the the comparison between you know the progressive calculus and Sharia law. And I actually quote from Sharia law whereby, for example, the a, a murder will be punished differently as a function of the identity of the perpetrator and the victim, right? Which is a fundamental violation of, you know, American jurisprudence where, you know, ju Lady Justice is blind. Well, the progressive stack, the progressive calculus is identical to Sharia law, right? Because it says that my value, my, my ability to speak depends on the color of my skin or whether I'm transgender or whether I am this or that. And so to your point, it really is based on the exact same non-equality of human beings. Yes, exactly. That's what's so uh, immoral and unethical. And and so, you know, I thought, how can I visualize this? So you remember these um, little stacking things that we yeah. got for our kids? Um, so I got one of these and, and you know, I thought this illustrates, like I, I'll, I'm gonna get my dad to paint it for me um, to make it more illustrative of what has happened to like stacking now. Yeah. 
it is true that like I survived, my ancestry survived British colonial rule, right? So my parents were born into white supremacy, right? Where the brown people were below and um, they were second-class citizens. This is this is the the truth of history. But but exactly to your point, they're they flipped it now. They're flipping it, and now there's this new hierarchy of human value. And you got to add like the rainbow flag up here, right? And then the transgender flag is even higher than that. And then the Jewish people are down here. Uh -oh. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I I was I dared. I I I love that you know you as a he for she Emma Emma Watson or whatever her name is he for she campaign. You as a man are standing up strong for. Uh, I've heard, watched your shows about Riley, you know, yeah. the, the I saw your hashtag I stand with Riley. Yes, yes. Uh, that's that's a hashtag that replaces the um the um I'm a domestic terrorist hashtag. <laughs> did you by the way, did you see my recent uh coming out where I declared myself yes. a gay man because I'm actually married to a man because <laughs> by the perfectly right. rational logic of transgender, you know, magic wand my biological female wife now self-identifies as man. So in addition to all of my victimology poker points, I'm right. also now a gay man. So you can't, I'm on top of the hierarchy, baby. Yeah, yeah. And this is the game, right? That they force us to play, but we are going to win it. Like I, I am just, um, I know that- Why do you say that? What's, what's the optimism that compels you to, 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 I mean, I agree with you because otherwise there'd be no point in getting out of bed. But yes. why are you filled with that optimism? Well, I just I I do I be, I do believe that saying um, that has been quoted to Martin Luther King, but was was said much earlier that that um, the arc of history does bend towards fairness and equality. Like I do believe that. Um, you know, I have always, always like when I was fighting for women's rights in the mosque, I would call myself a progressive and I do believe in progression, you know, and that we can, this is a regression right now that we are experiencing. Like God, it's just unbelievable to me. I was thinking about, you know, your daughter, do you just have one or? I have, I have two children, a daughter yeah, who's now 14 and a son who's 11. Oh, okay. I, I didn't know about your son. Okay. But, you know, in that new hierarchy of human value, I just, my heart breaks because the old racism is replaced by a new racism that targets children like yours. Yeah. You know? Well, and I tell, I tell a story, forgive me for interrupting you. I tell yeah. a story. Uh, not, well, not a, actually, I, I did a sad truth clip from a few years ago where we were, my son and I, who at the time was, so this is maybe two years ago, he must've been nine. And we were watching something on television where they were talking about toxic masculinity oh, and yeah. future is female. And he turned to me with the complete innocence of a young boy. And he said, daddy, is there something wrong with boys? And that just broke my heart, right? Yeah. The fact that he could have the, the, the instinct to even ask me such a question because he's now been exposed to boys are toxic. You're, you're, right. you're pathologizing half of humanity called right. boys that yeah. he has to turn to me and ask me if there's something inherently wrong with boys that broke my heart. So, yeah. Yeah. And and I, I'm so glad you brought it up because how old was he again? He was about nine. Yeah. So I, I don't know if you've um, heard of my friend Orly Petter, but she um, 
is a friend of mine that I met after I went all the way down to Guantanamo Bay to confront Danny's killers, you know, right. and, uh, and I saw Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, you know, in the same, in the courtroom, we had to sit behind a glass panel and they were in front of us, but his face was broadcast in front of my face on the, you know, screen. And then he was in front of me and, um, you spoke to him. I didn't speak to him. They didn't give us access to him. Uh, but man, I watched him. God, I watched his every move. I watched how he controls the courtroom, even without saying a word, how he controls his co-defendants, how they are not even allowed to pray shoulder to shoulder, like Muslims traditionally pray at the mosque. Um, they have to pray in, they're in rows. And so there were there are five high value detainees being tried for 9-11 attack and um and he prays in the front he's the front row so he's right. the imam you know so to this day he keeps that leadership and that day he had red beard because it was signaling to all his jihadis that he was as pious as the prophet muhammad in dyeing his beard and of course i was like okay where did he get like you know, um, die. Where did he get some? <laughs> you, why are we funding this? And they claimed it was berries that he had used, but but they allowed all of this signaling that he does. Well, I went down there, and then I met this great psychologist, Orly Petter, and um, I, I was processing my own experience with trauma. And so during this whole process, I asked Orly, "What is it that this?" woke army is trying to do to our children? What is it that they are trying to claim? And I gave her examples of the curriculum. And so she introduced me to that simple concept that I know you know so well that your son was navigating as you were having that conversation. And she she introduced me to that concept of the um, sense of self, right? So God, can you explain to everybody what sense of self means and why it's important? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, uh, it it if you have a fracture, if you have fissures in your sense of self, then it's hard to walk through life tall, right? Like I'm I'm not a I'm physically I'm not a tall person. I'm the average soccer player height, whatever that means. But I walk very tall because the the structure of my personhood, the structure of myself. Is, yeah. is really intact, notwithstanding the difficulties that I went through in my childhood and personal yeah. difficulties, I have a strong sense of self. And so that inoculates you against many of the trials and tribulations that you go through in life. And so if you can start attacking a person's sense of self from a very young age, half the battle is won. Yeah. And so that's what was ex your son was experiencing, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, because, right, I'm a boy. I'm speaking as him now. I'm a boy yeah. and I'm seeing messages that say that there's something inherently wrong with boys. They're toxic. They're, yeah. they're the future is female. So where do I fit in all this? I'm a young boy. Where do I fit in? And so it's right. exactly to the point of identity. Yes, of course. Yeah. And what Orly taught me was that she taught me that beautiful concept of post-traumatic growth. And that you can experience trauma like you did and that I did, but that you can still emerge with a sense, stronger sense of self even because oh, you- have Oh, 100%. As a matter of fact, forgive me for interrupting. I mean, yeah, I, no, that, no. That, that's totally rooted in the concept of another fellow Lebanese, although he's, you know, he's, he wasn't the first to make that point, anti-fragility, right? So, or, or as the old maxim says, that which doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So I often remind people, and I actually discussed this in my forthcoming book on the good life and happiness, that, that 
all of those difficult moments, while yes, you would like to think, you know, they shouldn't have happened to me. They actually compelled me forward. I'm, I stand tall precisely because I face those realities and I've overcome them. And that's why I abhor, and I think you would agree, I abhor the victimology right. narrative, right? Because look, my, my wife's family also escaped Lebanon and her ancestors, not very recent ancestors, escaped the Armenian genocide. Yes. Yet we don't sit around all day, right? This is not something that happened to, to people that may have been related to us three or 400 years ago. This is, we put on the running shoes to run really fast so that we're not decapitated, right? And yet yeah. we don't wallow in it. It's part of our identity. It's part of our history, but we've overcome it. That's what makes us, you know, successful in the world. And then that's with that sense of self, right? That you're able yeah. to navigate further challenges to your sense of self. Like you, it, it allows you to then have a clear North star. Absolutely. Absolutely. You uh, know, I wanted to, um, because I'm just looking for my glasses again, because I, I just, I've been having these conversations with people. Um, and I just felt like with you, you can explain to people what is happening better than a lot of folks. I have, Dun, 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 white fragility. Oh, yes. My <laughs> hero. What's her name? D'Angelo? Yes. Robin oh. D'Angelo. And, um, and you know, they're just, it's just sort of racket. But I wanted to, um, if you, if I could, because this is so important to um, how it is that they're doing this. Um, I want to, I'm going to show everybody, give a, give a little window. My collection of books. <laughs> this is what I'm, I'm going through. Um because what happened is that the the um as you know there was so many issues of assault now on children yeah. this is a famous book on sexuality i am jazz is this uh, jazz the the son daughter of yes. uh, bono right no no, no. That's, not that's um I know that's somebody else. That's what's her name. I can't remember. Um, but this is an activist, a trans activist okay. who has had a really troubled life okay. after popularizing the idea of children confronting the identity into which they were born. But what happens is that you have then, I'm, I just want to ask, like, I want to ask you as a, a pro, the pronoun book, yeah, oh, yes. like put on our glasses, the pronoun book. And then here's gay BCs. Yes, yes. You know, real, real classics of the day. Um, and then gender queer. Yes. Um, I just like look at this book as an example. I just want to I want to get your analysis. Bye bye binary. Well, listen, uh this so I'm trying to think. So we we spoke in 2015. In 2017, Asra, both Jordan Peterson and I appeared on separate days in front of uh, the Senate, the Canadian Senate, yeah, uh, to speak about then the the bill that you know hadn't been passed yet. It has since passed uh, Bill C16 that sought to <clears throat> incorporate you know gender identity and gender right. expression under the rubric of hate crimes. And of course, what at least I won't speak for Jordan, but I'll speak for myself. What I was arguing, but regrettably, most of the quote liberal progressive senators did not want to listen and they were scoffing and mocking and laughing. So I said, look, 
I can walk and chew gum at the same time. I can be for uh, the idea that all people should live free of bigotry. I'm yeah. as, I'm about as socially liberal as they come. I don't care who you go to bed with at night. Right. I don't care. Right? I, I couldn't give it down. But I care more about the integrity of truth, the dignity of truth, so that uh, I could support whatever trans rights mean, but trans rights are just the same rights as anybody else. People should not be treated with institutionalized bigotry without you know, uh, also agreeing that men can menstruate, without agreeing that a six foot four biological male can declare from one day to the next that they are female, full stop, sorry, Riley, your hard work is gone and now there's going to be a massive towering woman with a nine inch penis who is just as much of a woman as you because they, so, so, but I think what happens to a lot of these progressives, Asra, as I'm, as I'm sure, you know, is that their, their existential catalyst is one of faux compassion, right? So it, it feels as though you're not being accepting of trans people if you say that no men can't bear children that right. just feels wrong but of course they don't realize that in being compassionate to leah thomas thomas you're being fully lacking in compassion to the 99 biological women that just lost their spot on the podium they yeah. missed that part of the compassion but, equation but then what happens is in this new hierarchy of human value right leah is up here and yes. then riley is down here and that's uh-huh. how they justify it but you know so orly actually gave me a really good concept that helped me through this process she called it suicidal empathy yeah. where you i've actually I've, I've i've you can probably go on my website or yeah. on where i specifically use that term unbeknownst to me that she's oh that's so great yeah, that's yeah. so great well great minds think alike <laughs> great friends think alike right yeah, and that's what you're describing, right? This, this where the suicidal part is that you, to me, the suicidal part is not about your own individual identity either, but that we are really then really killing humanity. Yeah. Like that's that's what I think that in the name of supposed empathy, we are killing humanity and real the values of equality and 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 also um, innocence of children. And I wanted you to just like take this book, for example. Bye bye binary. Okay. You've had children of this age. So do you remember like, okay, what would you argue this this book is from the style? It's a cardboard book. What age would you say this is targeted to? Oh boy. Uh like you know, six to twelve months old. Oh my gosh, right? So young. You're so right. And the the parent is reading it, right? Yeah. And then and let's just say that the child can even start reading words by four, like these kind of words. So bye bye binary. What is what are they doing? I just want you to break down for people and including me, what they're doing to the sense of self when they say bye bye binary, okay, with this cute little baby, open hands. Um, then the first page is baby and i'm ready to smash gender norms there you go there you go what are they doing god can you explain to the well i mean yes i mean look the 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 bottom line i mean as a matter of fact i i referred in my uh address to the canadian senate i quoted from a pamphlet that had been uh distributed at harvard university where they were arguing that they were no longer going to adhere to 
antiquated notions of binary thinking or something to that effect. So yeah. that's that's exactly what's there. So the general idea is that you need, look, there are people who have gender dysphoria. That's totally true. Some people don't fit nicely into the default phenotypes called male and female. They right. exist, but that doesn't mean that human beings come of a spectrum of gender and of a spectrum of biological sexes. And I've actually satirized this when I released a clip on my channel uh, where I talked about we need to be more tolerant and accepting of finger diversity and finger fluidity, that right. it is wrong to argue that all human beings are born with 10 fingers and 10 toes. Some people are born with nine. As a matter of fact, as you probably know, since you've had a child, one of the first things that they do when your child mm -hmm. is born is to look for a congenital issue right. whereby they count <clears throat> that your child has 10 fingers and 10 toes. <clears throat> but what, excuse me, what those people that are arguing for the non-binary stuff are saying is, to the extent that there are people who don't fit nicely into that binary, we need to change the narrative. And hence, the way we change the narrative is we get to them when they are 6 to 12 months old. It's grotesque, right? Because, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry about that. I have a, a thing in my, in my, in my throat. Look, uh, when I teach consumer psychology, uh, one of the lectures yeah. that we get to is we talk about when is it ethical Right. I love that lecture. I love it. To yeah. advertise I mean, to children. Okay? I, I haven't heard the lecture, but your conversation was so great about it. And I love that. Explain it to everybody again, the, the concept of when you know that you can be, you're being targeted. Exactly. So, so, yeah. so the, the general, I mean, different countries will set the age at which it is legal to target children slightly yes. differently, but the, the scientific position and the moral position coming from you know cognitive development is that you should never target a child i mean i'm talking about target now in advertising selling right, them chewing right. them right but so this, that's what i remember your analogy and i thought about this because you're selling an idea though here right right and th but yeah. here that's a lot more nefarious right because yes. here you're selling an idea about your deepest markers of right. your biological identity you're not selling chewing gum and cereals but so here's the point so the idea is that you're not allowed to target children with advertisements if yeah. they don't have the cognitive ability to recognize that you are engaging in a persuasive strategy to persuade oh, yeah. them of something. And yes. if they can't know that, that means they can't erect a counter argument to your manipulation. So yes. imagine that from this side of our mouth, we tell advertisers, don't you dare target my child for chewing gum ads until yeah. they're 10. But when they're six months old, I could tell them, don't worry, your penis could be anything you want it to be. It could be a form of vagina. Yeah. You give them, see these books, you give them these books, you know, that, 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 that are persuasive. Exactly. And, and that's why like, like going back to our wide global struggle, like, you know, that's what the Islamists have done. Like, that's what they do. They they hit these kids in madrasas, right? These religious schools, government-run schools. They're, they're very comfortable with the idea of early indoctrination. And of course religions do that, right? And I was gonna say not to not to give Islam a, a right, pass exactly. because I'm hardly that. I could take you to neighborhoods in Montreal where the Hasidim right. live, the ultra-Orthodox, right. 
and they're doing the same. Now, they're yeah. not trying to convince their kids that when they grow up, they should uh, kill others, but yeah. they are just as parasitized and indoctrinated as the kids in the madrasas. Yeah, and that's something that we have to be even uh, about in our analysis because it happens in every community and the ultimate um, intention is what's also really important, right? Like, are you um, are you doing this? And the activists, of course, argue that they're doing it so that a child at the youngest age, they're inherently racist. So they we're going to educate them so early. So they argue good intentions. And we know that the, the Marxist communists far left to have done this with the cultural revolution claiming children. But the opportunity that I think we have um, that will cause us to succeed is that there's this word, you know, this word in Arabic, fitna? Of course. Yeah. What is causing, it causing kind of uh, mischief and chaos <laughs> in society. Yeah. So the Muslim is like clerics have used that word against me as a Muslim woman. When I go into the mosque, they say you're causing fitna. Um, basically, they're so creepy that basically their underlying point is, oh, actually, when women show up, like some of our men get turned on, you know, <laughs> that's basically what they're saying. Right, right, right. Yeah. So fitna is just like a fancy word of, of, of calling it. But fitna means exactly that chaos. It's a cause of fissure, a schism. And so I think that what and I know like what is happening now, God, is there is a fissure in the um, this woke army alliance, because if there's one thing we know that the Islamists are not OK about, it is the idea of anybody crossing the so-called sacred boundaries, the hudud, right? Yeah. Of their heterosexual um, men get four wives, you know, if they want them. Uh, men are the authority over women. Women are women. Men are men. Boys are boys. Girls are girls. Girls must uh, cover their hair even when they're little girls because they cannot be sexualized. Well, it is a little bit of a problem now in the United States because these Muslim communities like in Michigan and Minneapolis that have turned out Rashida Tlaib and yes. um, Ilhan Omar in this woke yeah. army as lieutenants, these parents are like, uh, I don't think so. We're not going to have our kid reading genderqueer in the library. And no, we're not okay. Like they're not even okay. So who wins the the, yeah. the uh, singularity wins? point of uh, woke politics when you right. have the I'll tell the, you. the Muslims versus the trans people? I'll, I'll tell you what's happening. I'll give you exam examples because in in this, you know how personal it is to them. As you know, now in the public school system, two big fundamental issues is that they are saying that boys that self-identifies girls can go into the girls' bathroom. So that's immediately, you know, this. these are communities where they have put out um, guides for schools to explain why a girl cannot shake hands with a male teacher, right? right. Like that's how strict their boundaries are. I don't agree with them, but this is what the, this is this unholy alliance of these, these groups. So 
Just last week in Montgomery County, Maryland, as an example, the Council on American Council on American Islamic Relations, one of my great friends. Yes, know, care, love them. They 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 love us, right? Yeah. Um, they're the ones that have put out this whole machine of calling people Islamophobes if they dare to talk about the extremism in Islam like we do. Well, care went to the Montgomery County School Board and said, um, "We want opt outs on this literature and this." content that you're giving to the kids and in this war the montgomery county school board democratic majority voted against the muslim so the trans supersede in this case yes Yes. you know i talk about a similar i mean not quite a similar story but in the parasitic mind i talk about the case maybe you've heard of it where a a Muslim woman who was working in a wax, uh, you know, waxing, uh, beauty waxing uh, salon had a transgender woman who's a biological male come in there. And she said, sorry, I can't do it. Like, whoa, whoa, you're a transphobe. And so it's exactly a, a similar singularity point, but in a slightly different context. So, yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Uh, And that's the battle that is going to, continue and i can tell you for sure just like the mama bear and papa bear movement and why i'm optimistic that we will win is um parents will not allow the state to contradict their fundamental values like whether you agree with them or not like that tension is never going to be relieved by victory with this by the state like it, right. it can never be relieved that way um and of course you know, we have had to challenge like those like uh, outlying ideas that might be dangerous to public health and, and society. But in this case, what is happening is is an assault on that sense of self of kids. Right. And, of and, and like we as parents have such a sacred duty. And that's why I know um, all of their character assassinations and like campaigns against us will eventually lose because we're just too honey badger in this you know like like you don't give any more f's when your child's life is at stake exactly i was so moved when you talked about that experience that you had um in southern california i think right at the college um where they were very kind to you (laughs) they were so rude was it usc oh yeah yeah you mean the recent one just last month Oh yeah, my yeah. goodness! I uh, yeah, just uh, do you wanna do you wanna tell it or do you want me to tell well, it? Well, yeah, tell the story and I'll tell you what really touched me about it. Well, what what basically happened is I went to USC for the ten year anniversary of a you know very interesting center there, the Center for Economic and Social Research, and they had a ten year anniversary one day event where they were you know uh, discussing the values of the Enlightenment, and so I came. Uh, I was asked to be a plenary speaker there on, I was talking about deontological ethics, meaning that there are certain absolute truths that you should never violate, right? And in the pursuit of truth, you don't put on a consequentialist hat. You don't say, oh, I better not tell the truth because it might hurt this person's feeling or it might marginalize this group. If you pursue truth, you pursue truth unencumbered by any other concerns. And so, you know, it was very much a talk that is in support of all of the enlightenment values. And then the, the amount of, you know, uh, uh, 
passive aggressive, if not direct hostility that I faced from now they weren't they weren't throwing tomatoes at me and it's were not they, were they snapping? They weren't they didn't snap, but you could <laughs> tell they were disgusted, they were right. hostile. And then I spent the entire day at the event where, you know, I would walk around. Usually when I'm at these events, people come up to me, they're friendly. And I mean, literally it was, it was ridiculous. As I would walk by, people would kind of turn their back away from me in complete disdain. And, and my daughter, maybe that's the part yes, that you're talking about. Exactly. Uh, my daughter was so galled, was so insulted as a young developing honey badger she yes. came to me seeking permission yeah. can i go and tell them off daddy i said no sweetie just stay calm and so in a sense i was happy i mean i, I felt bad that my family witnessed you know what i was facing but i was glad that they saw it because if anything it should hopefully inculcate them with the desire to always stand tall with dignity when defending the truth is that what you were going to talk to talk yeah, about yeah yeah yeah, because I, I I remember you talking about it and saying that you withstand this. Um, and I had just I had just had the same experience at Harvard Graduate School of Business. There you go. They, yeah, they invited me because I think they have one donor that requires some diversity of opinion. And so they invited me to a panel where I was outnumbered. And they kept it private as saying that it was for a class. And so they were going to video record it for the class's purpose, but not for the public. There but you go. I invited this young woman to attend, a friend of my son's who went to Boston University. And she, you know, it was a big day for her, like going across town to a Harvard class, a graduate class. And there I was attacked by, oh, ironically, a woman at an organization called Castle that is pushing social emotional learning. And this woman was like the epitome of anti-social emotional learning. <laughs> rude, right. rude, uh, shaming to me, kept throwing the Harvard name down like a shaming mechanism yeah. for me because I dared to put forward this idea that in critical race theory, they are actually promoting racism. Yeah, sure. You know, and so um, I dare to touch upon one of the prophets of this ideology, Ibram X. Kendi. Oh, yes. Yeah. And she just was so mad at me. She was on Zoom and she was just hurling her face closer and closer to the camera. And I really felt what you felt because you and I have withstood this. But I remember you saying that through the eyes of the innocent, right? Through the eyes of your daughter, you could see how this experience gets processed and what happens. And and my young friend, she <clears throat> she was in tears because they start the 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 graduate students started snapping in support of this woman who was hating on me. And she couldn't believe their hostility and their rudeness. Um well I, I just know that like you came back from that experience probably like I did, which was even more protective of your daughter, yeah. you know, even prouder of her for seeing, like you said, processing this, seeing it and, and, and even more committed in your at work. Exactly right. Right. Exactly right. Because you saw an innocent being victim, like not, not in a, um, self-perpetuating forever way but witness to this you know and you know i'm her dad right she sees yes. me that she knows me she knows i'm a at. good person she knows right. that everything that i'm doing is really done with the right value value positions from yeah. from the perspective of her as a 14 year old kid and so then 
to see a whole bunch of hostility unfairly being thrown at her dad was very galling. It was visceral. She was angry, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's the papa bear, you know, that yeah. you saw. You saw her also hurt by it, even though like anger can, is also connected to hurt. And yeah. and this is the point that I wanted to just bring home that I felt I saw in your anecdote, you know, was that we see that who they are targeting and they are these cubs and you will die for your daughter, right? Like you will die for her and every parent will die for their child. And that's why it, you know, we, we're now facing here in the United States against the Biden administration, you know, just like you are facing opposition from the federal government there we are facing opposition from multi-million dollar networks. I don't know, you know, who has, of course, there's like nefarious people always on all sides of a debate, but I know that like on our side, like, just like I know you, your daughter knows you, like in the quiet of our lives, like we're in it from the heart, you know, for goodness. And, and that's why I know we'll prevail. Well, from your what a nice way to end our conversation. Always best to end it on an optimistic note. Uh, last question for you, Asra. Although, of course, I could keep you here for another five hours. Are there any other projects? I know right now you're focused on, you know, hopefully getting people to to buy yes. and and read. Everybody it's wonderful. Bring it up again. Woke yes. Army. Please go out and order it. Are there any? projects down the pipeline that you'd like to use this opportunity to talk about, please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much. You know, I definitely want to write about the war on kids and their sense of self from not only this um, psychological element, but from the part of um, self uh, confidence that these activists are trying to erode for them in the workplace, in life in careers in academic institutions on this war on merit that's happening that has been a war on kids i want to document that and um and i want to also you know god in these years that we have left like make sure that we create the network for our kids that are just solid solid children uh, to have opportunities. And that's what I want to brainstorm with everybody about is that we ha- need to nurture these ones, you know, like you as a mentor, as a intern coordinator, you know, me also, like, I, I, that's what I really want to try to do. Um, because what we have to do is create the alternatives, right, for this woke army's incursions in our kids' lives. Um, so that they can have that strong sense of self that we try to impart upon them and put that out into the world. Um, And I want to just, I want to just quote um, at the end here from this poem. I just think about you with it because it's from Gibran, Khalil Gibran. Oh, fellow Lebanese. Yeah. Um, And that's why I think about you because it's a a poem. Have you heard his poem called um, about parenting? I don't think so. Oh, yeah. I'm going to just, um, I want to quote the exact words, but I was brokenhearted when my son um, went off for college. Like that was, you know, the moment that I realized I wasn't going to be able to have now the honor of driving him everywhere, of being able to um, to spend moments with him, right? And so 
He wrote, Khalil Shibran wrote, your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. And, um, and then this is the part that brought me out of just serious, serious depression. When my son went off to college, I, I was in my bed for days because I didn't know my sense of self um, without him and needed to find it again. Um, and he wrote, you are the bows from which your children as living arrows are sent forth. The archer sees the mark upon the path of the infinite. And he bends you with his might that his arrows may go swift and far. Let your bending in the archer's hand be for gladness. I love that for gladness. For even as he loves the arrow that flies, so he loves also the bow that is stable. That's and beautiful. I, I, I love that idea because you know, I, that's I, what we need to be. Yeah. I mean, we could we could end there right there, but I just want to add a quick story to speak about sort of the 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 mourning that you felt when your son left. I felt it on a perhaps less dramatic way, but even maybe more sentimental than yours, because in in your case, he left the house. In my case, I had a maybe two week period where I felt incredibly blue about a year and a half ago when I realized that my daughter had. Uh, surpassed the age at which she was willing to play with her dolls. So oh. rather than the physical manifestation of your son leaving, right, she, right. Was, she was leaving that cognitive developmental stage. And so mm -hmm. while the dolls remained in her bedroom, <laughs> right. I saw that she never played with them. And oh. the day that it hit me, I really, I mean, I, I'm, I'm an incredibly, I'm fortunate to have a very sunny disposition. I'm always happy. I'm always, and I went through like a mini depression for two weeks and I'll, I'll share this quick last point with you and her being as sensitive as she is, she realized oh. that this was hurting me. She oh. asked me to play with her, with oh. her dolls, but here's what happened. Uh -huh. I even felt more depressed as she was <laughs> doing that because I realized that she was doing it just to, you know, to, to make me feel better. Uh -huh. But I, I saw that her interaction with the dolls were uh -huh. not those of a child of that age. And so I really had to come to grips with the fact that just like your son left the home, right. she left that particular cognitive age. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's very difficult. You know, there's an expression in Arabic. Uh, I'll say it in Arabic, then I'll translate it is better to raise dogs than to raise children because the dogs always stay in a perpetual childlike stage right. in your home. Whereas those damn kids, notwithstanding uh, Gibran's beautiful poem, they eventually leave you. And that's a very, very difficult thing to deal yes. with. Yes. But then if evolutionary biology has its way, they give us the gift of babies again exactly right, right. Exactly. <laughs> they are the transportation of our, the propagation of our genes right. so there and, you have it and our dreams and um and and i i thank you for sharing that because that's a perfect example of where you were challenged to be that stable bow right in exactly order to right. let your exactly. daughter out into the world and and you we have to go through the process and like accept those imperfections like and the humanity and and um circling it back bring it back to our breath and and our and our energy and our honey badger wow you, you, you know your own honey badger uh, let me leave you off with this uh 
compliment, if I may. You are one of those rare creatures that can both exemplify a fierce honey badgerness, and yet when one speaks to you, they are enthralled by how kind and gentle you are. So oh. the capacity to oscillate between fierceness and you know this really kind of zen-like aura that you have, I think is a rare quality. So uh, thank you for sharing your personhood oh. with us. Thank you so much, God. You're a hero to me and, and to so many, and we appreciate you so much. So you stay healthy, and we are going to see your children into their... From your lips to God's ear. Thank you so much. Stay on the line so we could say goodbye offline. Thank you so much for coming on, uh, Asra. Oh, thank you. Cheers.